Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. This conversation with doctoral student Douglas Bella, Bowling Green State University, doctoral program in organization development and change. All of that leading to the point that he is a very, very nice person. And I think that's who should be the organization development leader, consultant, coach, facilitator of the future. And Doug has committed himself mid-career to the academic aspects uh, of our work so that he can be a scholar practitioner when he finishes this program in another year. But in the context of this conversation, I found resonance, R-E-S-O-N-A-N-C-E, resonance. This feeling that you're talking with someone and you get it and hopefully they get you. It's a wonderful feeling that I'm speaking with someone who sees practice the way uh, Peter Vale and I hope that people would see practice, starting with seeing themselves in practice and valuing that and understanding that the more they invest in the continuous improvement of their abilities in that practice, the more satisfying they will be to themselves and to others. So this is the story of Doug Peller. And when you listen, you'll know why I say that. So here he is. Well, folks, I I just uh, met for the first time on camera, uh, and ever for that matter, uh, Doug Bella. I had been very interested in some of his posts on LinkedIn and recognized that he is a graduate student in the doctoral program on organizational development and change at Bowling Green State University, where I have colleagues who I've met virtually now for the last couple of years in, in that program and appreciating and observing that program, like Carol Gorlick, who's been doing uh, an ethno ethnographic study of, of your program, Doug. Uh, and so I have an eager to meet you for many reasons, but I, I was just telling you before we started recording that the, the idea of showing up for me seems a really key way of indicating whose practice matters a lot. You know, we can have practice that matters somewhat. Like golf matters to me, and it is a practice now. I am a golfer, but you'll never see me in a tournament. But uh, so I'm, but I do show up a lot to play golf. Uh, but if you go all the way up through the uh, lexicon of people who are performing all kinds of things in the world, there are some who just bring out um, what they do, what they care about, what they're learning. And put it out there. And then I would add to that, uninvited or not, invited or not, just there's something about what we want to say. 
so I'll just uh, stop talking and I'll give you the next 29 minutes, Doug, to tell us anything you want to say. <laughs> no, I won't do that because I, I love talking, but I also like to listen. So tell what what is the short form of your reason to be in this doctoral program? And I would guess mid-career. Yeah. So first off, Dave, thank you so much for inviting me on to the podcast. Uh, certainly it's an honor and um, to be here and, and to learn from you too. So, uh, you know, I, my reason for the doc, doctoral program starts with, I would consider myself a lifelong learner, but I really didn't recognize that until probably my early forties. Oh. Um, I always characterize my undergraduate years at, um, as I was probably more of a student of life than a student student of academia, and but at work, um, growing up in, in the world of retail and, and leadership, I, I always continued to learn more from whoever having great mentors or saying, "Yeah, I'll you know volunteering for the role that I knew I wasn't ready for, but would stretch me." Mm. And um, then, and as I turned 40, I was like, okay, there's, there's got to be some more formalized learning process that I'm missing. And so I, I started actually an executive MBA program at Bowling Green State University okay. and um, completed that in, in a couple of years. And once I got done with that, um, I, the program director was Tom Daniels and I called yeah. him up and I said, oh, Tom. You know, I've just completed this MBA, and and while I, it was a great, great learning experience, I think I made a mistake. I really think I should have gone for the Masters of Organization Development because I really like the people aspect of it. And so, I'd like to talk to you about going down that road and getting my Masters in OD. And he right. said, "Hang on, you know, wait. We're, we're right now. We're working on something. I can't give you the details yet, but there's something out there." <laughs> and so, of course, you know, curiosity uh, and, and crypticism kept me in in um, in conversation with Tom. And it was a couple months later that they announced the doc, the doctoral program in organization development. Wow! Yeah. So, um, wow. yeah. So I was like, "All right, you know what? Sign me up!" And uh, 2019, I entered cohort one um, with cohort one. And really, it was about um, understanding the different levels from organization to team to to individuals and that whole system and how it you know, comes together. And, mm -hmm. and all three parts of the system need to be working well um, with each other to make sure that everything, you know, that, mm -hmm. that the whole system is working. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I started with the cohort one in 2019. I did have to take a brief pause. We, I ended up moving my family across the state of Michigan, taking a, a new job. And, um, so that created some extra stressors, but sure, then rejoined, sure. um, and cohort two. So, so. now, uh, the, the coincidence, uh, of you uh, doing what I just said earlier, uh, showing up to Tom. You know, completing the EMBA, which a lot of people say, well, that's good. That's plenty. I'm going to be a business manager, a business manager, a leader, as Peter Vale called us. Uh, and, and, you know, off I go. I move my family uh, and like tens of thousands of other very conscientious, conscientious people, you would help a company go and grow. But there was this feeling you had. The, what you call the human side of uh, business that 
seem to be, as we say in Maine, stuck in your craw. <laughs> <laughs> and had you not acted on that and picked up that phone or however you spoke to Tom, you wouldn't probably have known about the onset of this brand new doctoral program, very, very innovative program. Uh, unless you, you know, then you would kind of look back in your rate in your rear view mirror and say, Oh, gee, I wish I, I wish I'd known about that sooner. So that, that, um, serendipitous concurrence of your desire to grow more learning in a different way and the availability of that program was pretty, uh, pretty magical. Absolutely. And, and so, and, and, and just as fit with the whole experience at BGSU, it's, um, yeah, it's it's just been an incredible journey, and and I would even say, being the bridge between cohort one and cohort two has been very a, a magical part of that journey. Being able to bring the two groups together that are, or that are part of the trailblazers for what's to come. I mean, this this it's an incredible program that Steve Cady and um, Francis Baldwin and Carol Gorlick are out there, you know, helping create so yeah it's it's been a, truly an adventure what uh what were some of the most impactful experiences you had in that first cohort 2019 into 2020 we're moving toward the pandemic but it was a the, the sort of the rapper was taken off and the very first people to land in that program you know like, like landing a, a, at at the rock of the Mayflower, you know, and new ground. It had never been done there before. So you were definitely pioneering. What, what were some of the most impactful experiences that come to mind about that particular uh, cohort year? So first and foremost was the environment that Steve Cady set up um, as the program director. So bringing in, at that point, there were 15 of us that from all across the country, coming together um, at the campus of Bowling Green. And, you know, nobody knew each other. We'd had a couple of Zoom meetings early on just to do introductions. But this first in-person meeting, over the course of four days, he created such an incredible bond of trust among the 15 of us that really served us well as we went through because it, it, it's a tough program. I mean, you're oh, going yeah, in and, and you're, you know, you're um, not only doing some heavy scholarly lit reviews, but you're also, you know, intensive writing um, and you need that support. So how he created and an such strong bonds of trust among that group of initial 15 was just incredible. And, and to the point where we could be completely vulnerable with each other, sharing mm. elements that were so personal that we wouldn't normally share out in the business world, but mm. it was so impactful that we, we all stayed in contact and were each other's cheerleaders. We were each other's um, uh, people to call to and cry on a shoulder if we needed to, you know, or just say, Hey, how am I going to get through this? Um, and, and that's even continued to through today, even switching from cohort one to cohort two. And I would say that same experience, which I would have never thought could be replicated, has been mm. replicated in cohort two. And we are what I would call our dub as the pandemic baby. So we actually, yeah, we you actually had a, another first. You know. Yes. Yeah. Um, we actually didn't meet in person until this past um, April. So yeah. that was the first time after almost a year and a half. So, wow. and again, it's, it's the way Steve has been able to 
to create these bonds of trust in both groups is just incredible. Uh, David Jameson, I think you probably mm-hmm. had some coursework with him. He, yes. he also was a good friend of Peter Vale's, and he and Jackie Milbrandt wrote a magnific- magnificent chapter that uh, sought to chronicle Peter Vale's life. But another uh, book um, of work that they did was uh, pioneering in the the use of self and practice. It took me a minute to work it all through my head. Uh, the use of self and practice, uh, which uh, seems to tie very much into what Steve and others wanted you all to be able to do by opening up so much of yourself to each other and getting that kind of uh, scary, scary stuff out of the way and recognizing it's going to be you. It is you as you return to any part of the real world uh, who uh, first and foremost is going to have the impact. I I think of Frances Baldwin, for example, who I've only seen and met on Zoom, but she comes across to me someone who uh, just is a natural in terms of being herself in a powerful way. Uh, What's your experience of being yourself (laughs) now that you've been through, you know, almost three years of this experience? So, yeah, that's a great question. And it is, as I now see um, how I show up at work and, and my my full-time job, mm-hmm. or even for my family, for that matter, and understanding how being able to, one, admit that we've all had mistakes and it's okay, and they're learning, they're learning moments and framing them as such, Um that, that's definitely one way I'm showing up differently. And, 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 and I was always comfortable with saying, hey, I made a mistake, but I don't know that I would have broadcasted it from the rooftops. You know, I would have been like, oh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I made a mistake. OK, let me go over here. I own it. I'll, you know, I'll help correct it. But now helping um, those that I support and lead understand that, hey, you know what? Yeah, you made a mistake. Great. Let's what did we learn from it? What's let's go through this after action review. There's a process there now. Yeah. Yeah. How can we then share this learning with others so that they can build on it? Um, And I even think of my kids, especially, you know, school is so focused on a a grade attainment and and your identity Mm -hmm. is built around A's, B's and C's. And as you know, I'm telling my kids right now, look, I don't care what grade you get. What I want to know is what are you learning from it? You know, what are you able to take forward with this? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I get the grades are important to move you through. And and that's, that's, I, I get that part of it, but really it's, I want you to be able to say, Hey, I walked away from this math class and, you know, I started out being able to, you know, add two plus two, and now I can get into these algorithms or whatever. (laughs) So, but just helping them understand that, you know, learning is a process and, and mistakes are going to be a part of that. Wins are going to be a part of that. So how do we celebrate that? How do we show up in support of each other through those difficult times and through Mm -hmm. the times where we're winning too? So those are, yeah, just ways that I'm looking at life a little differently. um, Especially. Yeah. Yeah, It's a lot differently in so many, sorry to interrupt you, but I'm thinking of, uh, when uh, a youngster uh, learns a, to master a, a bit of mathematics, uh, I almost pictured, in, as you were saying that, that you have now given them uh, opportunity to move into another part of the world, if you will, that was screened. <laughs> uh, the world where people count 
stuff and move uh, figures around to make new sense of phenomenon. Uh, and I would think all the way through to the program you're in right now, it, it is opening up. I know this sounds cliche, but I believe it. It opens up new aspects of the world to you. Whether you actually walk through a door to as a consultant or a coach or whoever, or just not just, but remain as a leader where where you are in the world right now. Are you noticing more? Are you seeing more? Are you feeling more than you think you might have had you not returned to this to finish uh, this this doctorate? Absolutely, I, I um, and it's from the uh, the small nuances of body language to just. And this is a little bit of a sidestep here, but um, what I've I've noticed is I have a strong affinity to a dialogic OD method. So I'm very much interested in how where a conversation starts, where it grows and how it ends. That's mm -hmm. not from a diagnostic perspective. So I really take time to note, notice the language being used, the metaphors that are being used. How do we shift the metaphor from, you know, oh, this is a this is a tough row to hoe. Okay. Well, do we have the right hoe? Are we in the right row? You know, what <laughs> are we even planning a garden right now? You know, what are we talking about here? So in, in really understand and noticing how, how um, groups come together and communicate. Uh, and, and again, going back to my family, my kids, it's um, one of the things I, I think that uh, was evident for me is that especially I you know grew up in a very traditional school setting of rows and teacher knew best and that sort. Mm -hmm. um, I also want to help my kids, but others to begin thinking for themselves and not being me as the person that's the go-to person. Like, what do you think? So I, I noticed myself asking much deeper questions, much more powerful questions uh, instead of just being an advisor truly stepping into a coach mode. And so when someone brings me up a, a problem or a concern, my first question is, is, well, you know, if if you had the right answer, what would it be? And so and, and really positioning um, whoever's coming to me to to have the, that moment to think. And if they have to sit with it, that's OK, too. I'm OK with silence and and letting people um, just sit and really do some deep reflection. I don't know that that would have been there prior to the program, especially the being comfortable with sitting in complete silence and just letting those that are with me have to think. I would have just wanted to get them an answer quick, help them move forward. And because, you know, in business, we've got to always move quickly, move quickly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and what yeah. that that results in, you know, a, yeah. a, a less less of an ability to think for yourself. So. Yeah. And, and a lot of tumbling uh, that tripping uh, and tumbling into into a change uh, in when business is in the rush uh, versus a little more a lot more uh, thoughtful way of uh, of moving forward. Uh, you just reminded me of the podcast conversation I had two weeks ago with um, Bill Blendell. It's episode one sixty one, I believe. And when you listen to that, you're going to hear an OD and change professor at Penn State, who, by the way, taught at College of St. Thomas with Dave Jameson. And uh, after Peter had 
um, had had to leave, but there was some wonderful connections that I didn't really know about until I met him through LinkedIn. Anyway, he um, has found the mindfulness, uh, not just the movement, but the whole uh, arena of where you deeply, deeply uh, explore what's in you by not letting yourself think, which I think, oh my God, I've lived in my head for 79 years. How could I possibly quiet my head down? And, and, and as he said in one point, the, the gift that you're offering, to your point, is an emptiness. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> no, you've got to empty yourself. Now, in the various ways that you've been learning, have you come across some of those methodologies, or not really methodologies, ways of being, actually, uh, to get you closer to the self aspect of uh, organization change and development, particularly this notion of silence? <laughs> So yeah, so one of the the tools I use, and it's gonna, it's 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 journaling. I yeah, um, yeah. I have I I take a couple of different approaches depending on where my mind space is at. Some days when I need to feel like I, I I've got to be lifted up, I'll do gratitude or affirmation journal journaling. But there are moments. So when you need to, when I just need to sit with the silence, that I do a data dump journal, and I just whatever's in my head, I write it down, and then I step back and I'll go sit for ten minutes and just focus on breathing and and doing a, a four count breathing or something that's really helps me not think about anything other than just yeah. To your point, the silence. Let's just let it be mm -hmm. there in my head. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one element. The other, and this was with Dave Jameson, um, it's through his use of cell, is I also now take notice of where I, I feel a trigger and what is that saying to me? So when something, when I'm either triggered, happiness, anger, sadness, disappointment, and, and whereas before I would be so quick to move beyond that emotion, now I really focus on why am I feeling that? Why why am I feeling that level of disappointment in someone else? More usually, more specifically, in someone else. I so that I understand what that's bringing up in me, and mm -hmm. then I'll journal about that as well. Because it's it's what I'm finding is that that power in the shadow side. Um, how how do I harness that? How do I bring that forward again to help others, to help myself, and help others? You know, because you're going to, when you step into, well, step back into your day at work or step out to uh, a meeting, a face-to-face -face meeting of your cohort, or however you position yourself in the day, you're with people. And the, the triggers are sniffing and snapping all day long uh, in, the, in, as you say, the good and the not so good ideas. And so the conditioning, the self-disciplining one has to do to be able to bring that presence out as a, as a paid offering, if you will, is, is what this, this amazing field of organization and development chain folks are doing all over the world. And I remember saying, and, and after one conversation, I quite can't quite remember who it was, but I said, that is uh, to do this work in the pandemic era with all the stuff going on takes 
tremendous courage. And I think the response was, oh, it takes tremendous compassion. <laughs> and it does allow you, therefore, to be encouraging, <laughs> which is different than, hey, I'm here to save the day, you know, the Mighty Mouse approach to organization consulting. Peter once, uh, I had a, a, an opportunity years back, uh, maybe five or so years after um, I was his student, and I was uh, asked if I would do some something like organization consulting, just a few days. But I, I remember calling Peter, and I said, I, what do I do? I mean, I can handle a classroom, but I've never quite gone out to, in quotes, troubleshoot an organization. And, and I remember something like, Christine could say, well, if you're there to shoot trouble, don't go. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He said, because that's an attitude that you'll bring in. I'm here to look at the trouble. Uh, why don't you first think about uh, how, to your earlier point, how good would it be <laughs> if by the end of this time together, we're all feeling a lot less troubled. <laughs> I like that. But he said one of the, and he had this in the book too. He said, I reached out once to a, a very successful organization development person. And, and he said, well, uh, what do I do, says Peter? And the person said, hate the system and love the people. You know, like I shook my head, but I still remember that to this day hate the system and love the people. And I said, wait a minute. I mean, I, I'm a sociologist. I mean, I know systems are everywhere. We, we, we study, we write, we talk system. He said, no, but recognize, similar to what Deming did years ago, saying it's almost always a system that causes the, the, the failure. And so if you think you love the system more than the people, you're, you're taking your eye on and placing it in the wrong uh, ball, if you will. What, what's your? Th I, I'm rambling here, but I, I, I wonder what you think of, of that notion of hate the system and love the people. So what it what it brings forward for me as I was hearing you is, is it really is that focus of connection over content or connection over context, mm. and um, Jervis Bush and Bob Marshak and their um, dialogic. Um, teachings, that's one of the, the points that they emphasize that's really stood out to me is we first have to know each other before we can move forward and, and know each other beyond um, uh, I'm an HR director at said yeah. company. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's when I think about where my interests are from a, a learning perspective, it really is around that storytelling element, but in that, a holistic introduction of, you know, when typically when I introduce myself, somebody will say, what do you do? And I'll say, well, first and foremost, I'm a husband and father of four kids. Mm -hmm. And that's a, you know, then I go into as a doctoral student and I work, work at, you know, I, I help people at an organization. And so instead of giving a title, it's yeah. really like, who are, who are you? I want to yeah. know who you are. And so it's yeah. that connection because then that, to your point, helps you support loving that person. We yeah. can create that empathy and that compassion because I know you beyond just yeah. the, the title that's sitting before me. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's really uh, 
what what that brings forward for me is yeah how do you how do you love the people that are here in the system and know that the system is flawed and we'll help yeah. figure that out too but really it's yeah. the people that make it work so. and the system is what gave them that title put them in that hierarchy uh sends them and and sometimes down uh, blind alleys and so forth uh because it's not always the intention of the collective that the system does those things. It's the system is all the elements working and sometimes working well together and sometimes not, but it's, it's almost like the weather compared to uh, if you and I were standing outside here in Connecticut, you, talking, I, we'd both look at the sky and say, yep, just as predicted, there's going to be some rain a little later, the trees are starting to move. Well, that's the system. Uh, I don't hate the weather, but I would if I were planning an outing tonight, you know, <laughs> and then I go, ah, I curse the weather. And but the, if you're loving the people, then you're saying, well, I'll tell you what, since we can't do this outside, let's take the whole picnic and put it on the screen porch <laughs> and we'll have our picnic there. That that notion of we can keep going together because we want to be together. Mm-hmm. And we are not going to let um, forces that are essentially beyond our control to uh, make that uh, not happen well. Uh, in the last few minutes, as I one thing I love the podcasting, but I I do have to watch my time budget. And there's so much more I want to explore with you, Doug. Uh, let's let's make then um, where you want to be showing up five years from now as the last thing to talk about <laughs> a very simple, where do you want to be in five years? No, but where do you want to be showing up in five years? So that is a great question. As and Dr. Beller, by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to show up as someone who helps others bring forward their voice in an inclusive manner. And, and, and it could be, I'm going to say within the setting of a meeting, but I consider a meeting to be not just a meeting could be in an educational, you know, grade eight. It could also be in a business. It could be in a community, but how do we create a, a, a stronger method for when people come together that they connect they feel heard and feel like they are a part of positive change. Wow. Uh, it's, it's, it's so important. And, and part of that's personally driven. I, I've been the person that sat in the meeting that's so quiet and, and afraid to bring my, my ideas forward because I mm-hmm. thought they would be, you know, um, laughed at or, or it wasn't the right. I always was like, Oh, this isn't the right place or the right time. And what I've found and, you know, experience and and a lot through this program is that we all need to be comfortable with sharing our voice. We all have great things that we can bring forward that that can be that igniter for the next great idea that, you know, from a collaborative perspective. So, yeah, it's it's important for me to find a methodology or, or, or help as many people um, feel psychologically safe so that they can contribute to in a greater way and 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 to, to le- lean into whatever they feel like their purpose or potential is. So, you know, I love I love I love that, and I and I will uh, try my best to uh, 
live long enough to see you in five years and ask how that's going. And I'm pretty sure it's going well. It gave me a lot of, in, uh, of, of thought while I was listening, and I was listening. Because what I was doing in my active listening was looking at our earphones. And I was thinking metaphorically that what, and, and our mics, what we, what I hear you doing for anyone in any grouping that you are uh, part of and about which you care, you're essentially putting earphones and microphones on everyone which says we're all listening and everyone has a microphone and they're all on all the time. <laughs> now take those off and now let's keep talking. Let's keep listening. Because I, I have, I've really had the, the challenge of not speaking up, uh, but I also have family members who are quite shy. And I've always known that they're in many cases are much, much, more alert and smart than I am about a particular matter at hand. And they just don't say it. And afterwards they say, Oh, I wish I had said something. So you and I are on the same wavelength. I think we, the more we can find people ways, find ways with people uh, to get over at first their own cancellation of their voice, which is very much inside. And that's the safety and the, and the invitingness, but also the listening part mm. to teach the non-listeners or the partial listeners or the uh, however you want to characterize people who structurally think they shouldn't be listening because of their their status in an organization. If that can be somewhat changed as well, man, we'd be in, we'd be in a be in a better world in a few years, Doug. <laughs> yes, I wholeheartedly believe that. Yes, being mm -hmm. able to hold space for other opinions and thoughts that are different than our own. Yes, mm -hmm. we've, we've, we've got to get there. It's imperative. Well, damn it. Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, this has been delightful. I, I can't thank you. I will thank you and thank you. Uh, and then maybe other ways that we'll reconnect. I'm, I'm pretty sure I might show up in one of the. Uh, Zoom meetings that Steve Katie uh, has been offering, and, and maybe I'll see you uh, in, a, in a square. <laughs> oh, that'd be wonderful. I'd I don't think it. I'll get to Ohio ever or Michigan, but uh, this is great, and this is a great way to become acquainted. So thank you, oh. Doug Bella. Doug Bella, that watch that name, folks. Oh, thank he's you a, so much. He's rising. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you, Dave. I really appreciate the time and just the conversation. Yeah, let's let's keep talking. I love it. This is good stuff. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcasts page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.